Ven a JCPenney y termina tus compras navideñas con brillantes descuentos como hasta 70% en joyería después del cupón. Además tenemos velas, mantas suavecitas y más desde $7.99 y miles de doorbusters en marcas como Adidas, Champion, Disney y Carters. Recoge tu pedido el mismo día. Es rápido y gratis. Estará listo en dos horas o menos hasta las 3 p.m. en Nochebuena. JCPenney, celebraciones que valen la pena. Ofertas válidas hasta el 24 de diciembre en selección de estilos. Aplican exclusiones. Doorbusters excluyen de los cupones. Detalles en la tienda jcp.com. From the studios of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C., you are on the hill. Tom Fitzgerald with you here today. Riley Waters joins us from the Heritage Foundation. He is uh, part of the Asian Studies team at Heritage, and we appreciate you uh, joining us on the hill here today, Riley. Yeah, good morning. Thank you for having me. You know, uh, you were just a guest on the television program a, a minute ago, and the reason we had you in was because we wanted to talk about what's going on with the China deal right now. because. Yeah. The, the president has been talking about this, um, you know, pretty steadily mm -hmm. from from day one. We were up against a deadline. The deadline came and went. And now we are wondering if and when we are going to get a deal. So where are we at with this right now? I think uh, I think it's pretty fair to say at, at this point, deadlines are arbitrary. So there are no deadlines. <laughs> there are no more deadlines. You know, um, based off of the meetings that the president and the vice premier had last week, they alluded to, well, the president himself said, mm -hmm. you know, I want something in four weeks. There might be an announcement in four weeks. And then maybe two weeks after that, we might have the summit. Mm -hmm. So that would put us at mid-May. Um, whether that actually happens or not, I think it's still, it, it's still an open question. It's an interesting contrast to how the administration is dealing with the China trade issue and then not waiting until you have an agreement to have the summit. It's almost the mirror opposite of how we're dealing with North Korea when it comes mm. to nuclear arms, where mm. they want to have a summit in order to achieve something. Right. Uh, it's flip-flopped in yeah. a way. Yeah, and I mean, it, I guess it depends on which way you approach this, but yeah, you could argue that they're taking the China approach a little bit better than the North Korea approach. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you don't want to necessarily rely on these top-down level meetings all the time. Sometimes you need, you know, the guys underneath the president, the secretaries, the deputy secretary level or you know ministerial levels to work their way up through these agreements. How involved do you think Trump is actually in what's being talked about right now? He does talk about it in broad terms in regards to China. Obviously, he's been talking about it since day one since he announced for 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 president right. about China, you know, you know, ripping the United States yeah. off. Is he in the weeds on this one or is he just the one kind of in broad strokes talking about the general thrust of where the U.S. Right. is? Uh, well, it does seem like he is sort of giving broad stroke guidance. You know, here are some things that he wants, right? He wants China to stop stealing intellectual property. He wants better uh, commercial, a better commercial environment for American companies in China. And he, he continues to harp on the trade deficit, which I think most economists would agree really isn't that big of a problem. Mm -hmm. When people hear this, um, they're responsive to the idea that China's, you know, ripping us off. They don't, you know, nobody wants to be ripped off. Um, but we're we're so entangled in China right now. How much of our debt they own, and how much we rely on them for for products, goods, and services a, as well. Um, when you talk to most folks, do they get this about how really tied to China we are? Or now? You know, it really depends on who you're talking to. Um, I think the business community, more than anywhere, any any other 
community um, really understands the importance of the U.S.-China relationship. Yes, it's it's not a simple one. And so that's why we articulate like, look, this isn't a simple relationship. So you can't just simply use simple tariffs to try and adjust this. Right. There are specific mechanisms which we can use. But, uh, yeah, the business community more knows more than anyone like the world that we exist in, the way that the economy works, which is just the collective choice of individuals, um, is very intertwined across across countries, across you know continents. We hear a lot right now in our political talk about socialism mm. these days. Mm-hmm. China's a communist country. How would you best explain, though, what they are now? Because they are no longer, you know, the image that we have of a state communist control. There are elements of capitalism in, yes. in what they do. So what are they? What are they? That's a, that's a very good question. Uh, in fact, we're having this debate, uh, I think, among some economists, too. Are they a developing country? Are they a market economy? What do these actually mean to mm-hmm. be those things? Now, the Chinese, um, it is the Chinese Communist Party. So politically, they are aligned with the, the ideologies of communism, but they like to say that it's Chinese-specific. Mm-hmm. And so even when they talk about the way that the Chinese economy and political economy interact, it's socialism with Chinese characteristics. Mm-hmm. And uh, certainly there are, are uh, huge elements of capitalism in there. Actually, that's that's what's brought them to this point over the last 20 years is a free market economy or elements of a free market economy and capitalism uh, away from what they were 30 years ago, which was dying under socialism mm-hmm. and communism. Uh a lot of people might remember when Hong Kong, uh, you know, entered into its uh, relationship with China. Yes. Now, uh, you know, Great Britain having, you know, ended its lease, and then Hong Kong was—I uh, don't know what the correct term for it is—is is it absorbed? Is it—is it independent, part of, but separate? <laughs> um, but it almost seems now you look at it at 2019, where at the time a lot of people were concerned that. China was going to change Hong Kong. It almost seems like that kind of capitalist mentality that existed in Hong Kong now has infiltrated China, that it's almost been a bit of a reverse flow, mm. if you will. Is there is there validity to that? I think I think there's validity to both points. Um, you know, the, the folks that we meet with from Hong Kong, they are very worried about Chinese influence in Hong Kong, not not just Chinese mainland. I mean, Communist Party, because mm-hmm. we have to separate the the everyday people from the political leaders that exist in China. Mm-hmm. And do th- they do have a measure of autonomy still, or yes. no? Yes, they do. Yeah, they have uh, their own independent elections, but this even even this can be influenced, right, mm-hmm. from political uh, from political influence. Um, now, yeah, I, like I was saying earlier, though, you know, China has seen an inflow of capitalism Mm -hmm. uh the private sector is one of the largest growing sectors um in china i mean that's what is leading a lot of their growth but um you know the argument that was made 20 years ago it still exists today um it's that with greater um sort of freedom and economics and in the market there's a question of political security and so this is Mm -hmm. the one thing that the chinese communist party does not want to see its instability in the way that they are allowed to govern Mm -hmm. unquestionably right and so what we are seeing i think more so over the last four years in particular is the chinese communist party pushing back against market capitalism 
right? They, the, the state-owned enterprises themselves are leading investment. You know, they are, they have controls on the flow of money in and out of the country. Um, they have, you know, of course, tariffs and a variety of regulations and non-tariff barriers that are restricting commerce to the way that they want it. And what's their concern? Is there a concern that if market-based capitalism blooms and flourishes in full, that that might put some ideas into people's heads when it comes to political freedoms as well? That's certainly one. Um, I think even that, in addition to the fact that they don't like things that they can't control, right? So an economy that is booming in sectors that just gets beyond their control is not something that they want to see. They want to see a strong economy, but by their definition and within their restraints. Uh, inversely, they also don't want to see an economy that collapses. So their idea is that if they can control it, they can keep uh, industries and certain markets from collapsing in times that ebb and flow like a free market, like we see in free markets. Mm -hmm. One thing we don't hear much from at all uh, from the current administration when it comes to China is anything about human rights. Mm. Um, we talk a lot about trade. We talk a lot about tariffs. Not so much talk about yeah. human rights anymore. What is the situation in China right now when it comes to uh, personal freedom and, and human rights? I will say that recently um, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo recently brought this issue up, the issue of the uh, na uh, the uh, the Uyghurs. These are the sort of north yeah. northeastern, should, or sorry, more northwestern yeah. Muslim. Well, we should explain what, what Uyghurs are. Uyghurs are an indigenous uh, community population in the western section of China, mainly bordering where Afghanistan is. They are a Muslim, mm -hmm. and uh, they believe themselves to be the subject of uh, persecution on the part of the Chinese government for practicing their, their Muslim religion. Is yeah, that no, that's, that's a good way to, to boil say. that down? I mean, some estimates yeah. say, so they have these, these um, sort of correction camps, mm -hmm. uh, places where they will send uh, people of Uyghur um, to be sort of uh, doctrinated into the communist ideology. And they, they say that up to a million people are essentially imprisoned mm -hmm. in these places. Um, one thing to note about the Chinese Communist Party and their ideology is that they don't believe religion should exist whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So whether it's Christianity, which is having a, um, a hard time uh, proliferating mm -hmm. in China, Muslim, the Islam faith as well is, mm -hmm. yeah. Which is why I bring up the issue of human rights, because on, you know, on the one hand, there are parts of the world where the administration has been bold in speaking up for freedom of religion, denouncing the persecution of Christians in some Muslim countries, also being a very strong supporter of the Jewish state of Israel. But yet when it comes to other parts of the world where there are religious persecution, we, we, we don't hear much at all. It seems like religious persecution is something that a, a Republican administration would, would want to talk about and be at the forefront of. Certainly, yeah. I mean, uh, religious persecution is certainly an issue that I believe this administration could uh, take more take more um, severely or more uh, take more importantly and uh, human rights just in general. And how do the Chinese react when that's brought up? <laughs> Not well? Uh, well, the Chinese pass it off as anti-terrorism measures. Meddling. Or, or, or meddling on our part? A and meddling, right. So what they're doing, like, say, to the Uyghurs, they view that as anti-terrorism? That's, that's what they call it, right? But when you're having people 
learn and indoctrinate into the communist ideology when you're forcing people to eat pork against their religious beliefs Mm -hmm. i mean this isn't you know this isn't anti-terrorism in fact this could have the potential opposite effect well i can remember when uh, former virginia congressman uh, frank wolf was in office uh he kind of spoke out very forcefully uh, over the detention uh, of by the United States of you know, many Uyghurs who had been captured in roundups in Afghanistan simply because they were Muslim. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is that the hill that China's standing on when it comes to its treatment of Uyghurs as far as they are Muslim so they fit into our anti-terrorism efforts? I, it, it may be, it may or not be. Mm-hmm. It's. I think it's very hard to say for sure. I mean, mm-hmm. in in a broader scheme, or sort of in in a broader sense, they do pass it off as anti-terrorism. Um, are they targeting people of faith just specifically mm-hmm. because they associate with that? Perhaps um, it's hard to say because China's a big country, and mm-hmm. you know, honestly, there's not a whole lot of reporting that comes out of that region yeah. because of the way that the Chinese communists party regulates the information that comes in and out yeah it's very it's very rare that you hear any kind of first person narrative yeah. about um you know any of the things you just and, talked and about when you do yeah. it's pretty bad yeah um so when this folds into the big picture of the the, the trade talks right now anytime you're in a trade relationship you you, you want to be able to kind of um sell enough to cover what you're buying mm-hmm. I, I guess to, to to boil it down into to the basic terms so what does China need from us and what do we need from them for this to be a deal that works for us? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I think personally, um, you cannot have a good deal if the tariffs that have been in place over the last year continue to exist. Mm-hmm. Studies have shown that these tariffs aren't affecting China in the way that we want them to. We, we did this because we thought it was going to punish them? Yeah, we thought it was going to punish them. The president has alluded to the fact that he likes tariffs and he likes using tariffs as a negotiating tactic. Um, mm-hmm. Now, there's there's very little evidence also, of this. You're also giving away your negotiating tactic when you do <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, uh, but this, what the studies have shown is that, you know, this these tariffs, and uh, not just the ones on China, but the ones on steel and aluminum imports and potentially auto imports as mm-hmm. well um, but the ones that are currently in place are having a, a negative effect on the US economy of 1.4 billion a month so a month a month so not only not only it's a staggering figure it is not only has it had a negative effect up to this point but as we delay the talks mm-hmm. and delay the summit and this potential agreement there's these are costs that are going to continue to compound mm-hmm. Um, now, what we would like to see, of course, uh, we would like to see less restriction on American commerce in China. This means not just the selling of goods, but investing and right. other things. So yeah. let's, let's talk about those restrictions. Yeah. Let's say I'm, you know, Acme Pencil Company and I want to do business in China. What environment am I facing when I go over there if I want to do business over there? <laughs> well, if you're in the pencil environment, yeah. probably not much of a hurdle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if we're talking about, say, financial services. Okay, so my pencil company has done so well now, I'm in a position to start yeah, a you, financial services company. Off, yes. off. You've created <laughs> Acme uh, Pencil Bitcoin. Yeah. Right? And you right. want to, <laughs> you want or a credit card. System. So what are they going to do to me over there when I, when I get over there? So first off, uh, they have this thing called, what's called their investment negative list. This is the, a list that says- That here, already sounds bad. Yeah. These yeah. are the industries that you are not allowed to invest in as a foreign company in China 
without well there might just be an outright block mm -hmm. it might be or um what's called the, the joint venture requirement this is you have to have a chinese partner and you have to give them 50 so i can't go over there by myself not always no yeah. no you need to have you need to give the chinese partner 51 stake percent stake in the company really? you need to have the minority uh stake in this company or else you can't come in and you know some companies are willing to eat that cost because mm -hmm. they see the chinese consumer market and they see it's growing and they see it as an opportunity for them which it's fine it's it's in their interests but what this does is you know it, it does limit commerce. Let me hit the pause button for a minute. Of so course. when they come here, do we tell them that they need to have a 51% partner <laughs> in the United States? No, but what we will do is if they invest a, a significant majority in a company or an industry where we believe there's a national security interest, mm -hmm. then we will review it. We won't necessarily block it, but we will take a good look at it. For example, there's been recent news of right. some Chinese investments uh, or um, – Chinese investors being asked to remove their stake in certain American companies because mm -hmm. they, we, the U.S. government, um, believes it's a threat to U.S. national security. All right. So I've got my 51% partner. I'm in yes. China. I'm ready to start my f financial services yes. business. Um, am I allowed to market my product well, to anybody? You might not be allowed to sell just yet. So you found no, a partner, okay, right, but you yeah. might not have given gotten the okay from the right regulators. So not only oh, do so you I need permission, I need more permission. Certainly, yes, right. of course. Uh, I mean, not only do you have to go through the Ministry of Commerce and make sure that they know that you have a partner, but for example, financial services, this is regulated through the People's Bank of China. Mm -hmm. Do you have their uh, permission yet? Yeah. Well, when you do, okay, maybe you'll be allowed into this market. It's amazing <laughs> the, the hoops people have to jump through. Certainly. But it's worth it for these companies because there oh, yeah. is so much money to be made over there. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, a, a trillion people, right? I yeah. mean, even if, um, you know, the average, uh, there's still a lot of debate of what the average uh, household wealth is mm -hmm. in China. But even being able to tap into that market for a few dollars here or there mm -hmm. is incremental. The United States isn't exactly a delicate daisy, though, in this relationship. We've got things that they need. To of course. Start with food. Yeah. Um, the ag markets and, you know, I, you know, related to, you know, some family members who are uh, farmers and it's one of the things they are most concerned about in U.S. trade in general, you know, soybeans, yes. um, the things that we sell to China. Can they feed their country right now without the help of the United States? That's a big concern. Um, food security for China. They, they're always worried about this. You know, the. For as much as we harp on them, they think a lot like Washington thinks, you know, about mm -hmm. food security and the potential threat from investments and, and selling of goods and services. Um, whether they can feed themselves, I believe they can. Mm -hmm. you know, it's not just the U.S. that they buy from. So in, in a pinch, yeah, they can always find things. But getting after this, uh, after this um, U.S. ag sector, you know, I think I believe it was in 2017 that there was there was more soybeans planted than corn in the United States. Mm -hmm. And it's because China is one of our is I think it is one of our largest uh, exports. Uh, certainly, soybeans for the soybean market, it is our largest export market, and that's billions of billions of dollars a year. Well, it's uh, a versatile product too. There's, they can use it for a lot of different oh, things. Oh yeah, as yeah, well too. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, even more so than corn. <laughs> um, so yeah, th I mean, there's there's importance there. Um, I think what the Chinese also rely on, it's not just the things that we can sell to them; it's the things that mm -hmm. they can sell to us. 
America is the consumer of the world, right? Mm -hmm. We like right. to buy things. This is, I mean, essentially, it's what helps drive the, the whole global economy are the things that we buy. Yeah, and I think, you know, what drives that home is, you know, when I was a kid, you know, basically about any consumer electronic, any radio you got your hands on, anything like that, you turned it over and it would say made in Japan mm -hmm. on it. You don't see a lot of things anymore that say made in Japan on them. More often than not, it says made in China. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, I think, that matters mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, whether you're talking about your television, your car, or, you know, <laughs> you go back to the pencils or something. Like that. I think we still make pencils here, though. Yeah. Um, you know, there's vir virtually no segment of our lives right now that is not touched by China, which makes this, this trade deal so important. Yeah. You think they're going to get this deal done? I think they're going to get a deal done. I think the question is when, mm -hmm. right? And so we already talked about potentially something in six weeks um, earlier at our, at our um, uh, when we we're on on TV. There, yeah. uh, Craig Allen alluded to. I think it was there. Maybe it was afterwards. G uh, twenty. The G twenty. Yeah. I actually disagree. I don't believe they'll do it at the G twenty. Mm -hmm. um, and even then, the question isn't just about when they make the deal, but what the deal looks like, yeah. right? Because there is still the potential that the U.S. keeps some of its tariffs on Chinese imports, uh, whether it's so. Right now, we have tariffs on two hundred fifty billion mm -hmm. worth of imports. Um, it is potential that let's say a part of the agreement they decide to remove only tariffs on the two hundred billion and leave mm -hmm. the tariffs on 50 billion right so china's not gonna like that they're not gonna like that they might just no. do the same thing too they'll just say okay well we'll remove as much as you remove mm -hmm. tit for tat just yeah. like it's been yeah. up to this point where we've implemented tariffs and they've implemented tariffs riley waters joins us from the uh heritage foundation today with the uh, asian studies uh, we appreciate you uh really kind of breaking this down into plain talk um, so we can understand uh, this story as we continue to follow it because it's fascinating. It's hard to follow sometimes. Uh, and so I think you've given us a, uh, a nice map through the woods here, if you will, on, on China trade talks. So we thank you so much. Thank you we thank me. you as well for joining us. You've been listening to the On the Hill podcast. Our guest has been Riley Waters from the Heritage Foundation. From the studios of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C., this has been the On the Hill podcast. We thank you for taking time with us. We will talk to you next time. Ven a JCPenney y termina tus compras navideñas con brillantes descuentos como hasta 70% en joyería después del cupón. Además tenemos velas, mantas suavecitas y más desde $7.99 y miles de doorbusters en marcas como Adidas, Champion, Disney y Carters. Recoge tu pedido el mismo día. Es rápido y gratis. Estará listo en dos horas o menos hasta las 3 p.m. en Nochebuena. JCPenney. Celebraciones que valen la pena. Ofertas válidas hasta el 24 de diciembre en selección de estilos. Aplican exclusiones. Doorbusters excluyendo los cupones. Detalles en la tienda jcp.com.